Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and I'm joined here by Nicola, also a reporter at LMA. Hi, everyone. And today we're talking about SOLA, the Society of Later Life Advisors, Retirement Income Advice and Consumer Vulnerability. Joining us today is Ian Evans, Head of life, Later Life Advice at Five Ways Financial Planning and a member of the SOLA Advisory Board. Ian, how are you today? Uh, good morning. I'm very well. Thank you. Nice to meet you both. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much for coming on the <coughs> podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about the Society and how they can help clients? Um, yes, the Society was created uh, quite a few years ago now, about, I think it was about 14 years ago by Tish Hannafin, um, who's a barrister, and she'd originally created the solicitors for the elderly and she wanted to have um mirror advisors sorry mirror from financial advisors to be able to help a vulnerable elderly adults in later life um and have uh slightly more training and slightly more understanding of the issues that face people in later life um so what you have to do to to become a an advisor effectively you apply and they will send you some stuff. They do do actually quite a few courses and how to become one. So you can go and find out what they're all about first. Um, so well, they'll send you a pack and with the pack, there'll be a case study and there'll be some technical questions they expect you to know. Um, I should add that actually to, to, to even to apply, you not only have to be a qualified financial advisor up to diploma standard, you have to have taken two extra exams, which are the later life exam and the equity release exam. So you should know what those two things are about. Once you've done the interview, um, they always send you back whether you've, you've been successful or not. Um, at the moment, um, from what I gather, the the first time pass rate is less than 50%. So it's pretty strict, but it's not so much the, the, the toughness of it is they just expect you to know things that will be in that arena. So when it comes to later life, it's not just so much the um retirement planning uh, inheritance tax planning a lot of what we do is is around paying for care and how to pay for care uh, and educating not just clients uh colleagues as well and everybody else about the rules that are and what you can and can't be done in the process you know you just mentioned the costs the cost of social care there obviously that's a massive burden for many families and the part of society's job is to raise awareness of that cost in your experience how where do you think clients already are as well as advisors on the complexities of Claire? oh very little it's it's not known um i i presented uh, seminars to care home managers and i've mentioned something called immediate care annuities very few people have ever heard of them they still don't know what they are um, what I would say is that the process in the country, and it's mostly due to just lack of knowledge and, and getting the knowledge is all out there if people look. And if people speak to an advisor that has the solar accreditation, all of us will be able to guide you through because we know the process. But I think the biggest problem in the country at the moment is everybody thinks you go to the local authority first. Okay. Now, Local authority funding was was originally for those people that cannot afford to pay for their own care. OK, so if it makes sense, if you think you've always had the low end or through through various things in your life, you, you haven't built up savings or you don't own your own property. Local authority funding was for those people. OK, unfortunately, the way the system is created is everybody refers you to the local authority first. So the system is creaking because they have just haven't got enough people and the reason for the issue is is when somebody thinks they need to go into care whether it's just residential care or care with nursing the very first thing that is done is a care needs assessment and the key wording there is care so it's the care requirements that are needed 
Okay. However, as we all know, question two is how much money have you got? Which initially goes, then people think it's a financial assessment. It isn't. It's always on care. Okay. So, <clears throat> and this, <clears throat> this confusion stems all the way to most GP practices everywhere, medical assessment. I've heard so many times um, people saying, oh, you won't get uh, NHS continuing healthcare because you, you, you're not dying. Well, it's not palliative NHS continuing healthcare. That's something different. I'll, I've drifted off a bit there, but going back to the care. So if people understand at the beginning, if they take the right advice at the right time, then they'll be told that let's have a look at your situation. You've got capital, you've got property, you've got things that, you know, you've got other assets. You should be able to pay for your own care and we can plan for that. As opposed to those that haven't got it, haven't got enough capital. If you say to someone, you've built up some capital over the years, you've, you've got plenty of money, you can cover your care costs. We work out the shortfall, so what their income is. We will calculate and advise them any additional benefits they're not aware of. Yeah. So attendance allowance, funded nursing care contribution, as I've already mentioned. Work out the shortfall and say, for instance, the care is 70,000 a year and you've got 30,000 pounds a year income. So the shortfall is 40,000. Yeah. We complete uh, an immediate care annuity form. There's there's several companies that do them now. Um, it gets sent to a central processing. They get all the medical information and they will then come back with an illustration. And um, I also wanted to discuss um, how advisors define vulnerability um, at the moment. Um, and, you know, I appreciate it's a definition that can change and I, I wasn't sure the extent of the awareness of that. So could you talk us through your approach to vulnerabilities and how you think it's best for IFAs to think about them? The other thing with vulnerability is the first mistake people make is they always think it's, it's, a, it's a capacity situation where someone doesn't understand through Alzheimer's or dementia. Well, a vulnerable person could be a, a person that's got every mental capacity there is they're absolutely fine they understand things but their partner's gone into a care home and they they're totally vulnerable um and the amount of times and, and sadly things are changing but the amount of times you'll go and see a widow whose husband did everything you know they did all the financial stuff they did all the planning they, they paid the bills they did everything and the widow's on their own and they haven't got a clue bless them and so that's vulnerable that's quite that you know so we we will go and see them and understand so uh, most of the solar advisors i know would have all had or most of them have had a personal experience with either a client or a family member that have gone through a process so they have a greater yeah. understanding Absolutely. And, and i can honestly tell you nearly every advisor i know will do an awful lot of work for free you, yeah. you, this is not the sort of work you do thinking you're going to make a fortune out of it because that's one of the things that get weeded out at interview stage it's a genuine care for and compassion for those people that you want to help and you may get something in the future i bet i do probably at least upwards of 10 to 20 meetings a year where it's pro bono it's just giving them some guidance um, and every seller advisor could probably if they listen to this would be nodding their head because it's true we all do it You'd rather give someone a bit of pointer, you know, a, a direction. And one of the things that I really don't like with the passion is signposting, because all that happens is you just go from pillar to post. You don't really know. Um, and um, I, I always like when you get to the vulnerable clients, the elderly clients in this situation, I, I liken it to a cork bobbing on the ocean. So they're out there bobbing all over the place. And then occasionally they come into the harbour and the water's calm a little bit. Then they get signposted somewhere else. And they go back again. 
whereas well, you get you get the right advice whether it from a, an ifa or a solicitor and they will guide you through it yeah no that makes sense okay how, ian how how complicated is it when you take on a new client who might have really complex um financial planning needs because of some of these issues that you've talked about how tricky is it to um for you as an advisor to sort of like come to terms with their case and because you know if you're oh. taking on 10 to 20 of these kind of new clients every year I wouldn't say I'm taking them on. I just say I'm giving them advice over the telephone or things like that. So for right. new clients, so if, if of those cases, I would say actual taking on clients is probably uh, not quite one a month. Um, and they do vary from quite straightforward. They know what they need. That's fine. They've got a partner at home. That's fine. <clears throat> the complicated cases come in if there is a capacity issue. Um, so we tend to be a little bit more up to date with capacity when you're talking to someone and if they're repeating the question or they don't understand and then you start to think hang on a minute here so I would normally request a family member um, to come with me at future meetings or um, failing that another colleague or indeed a solicitor and we we get a capacity assessment done I know I have contacts with quite a few capacity assessors and uh, independent social workers that, that will do the assessment. Um, and if I think they haven't got the understanding, I won't do it. And most of us won't do it. We'll, we'll get a capacity assessment done. And if it goes to a power of attorney, we'll then work with the power of attorney. Um, that's normally okay. When it comes to deputy ships, I tend not to get, we tend to be the other way around. I would get approached by a solicitor or a deputy with a deputy ship case. Okay, and and powers of attorney. One of my experiences with powers of attorney, a, a lot of um, people don't like doing them because they think they're giving up control. Um, and I've I've had so many clients approach me and say, "Oh, we're trying to get my mum to do it, but they won't do it." And 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 I've gone around there and explained to the mums that you're not giving up control. You've got two options. You've got at any time, or when I lose capacity, mm. you know, and 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 it keeps that bit of control. Um, so it, it, it is complicated, but you just have to answer the right questions. And you have to have to have the experience, again, to, to, to flag up. I mean, my colleagues know I, I tend to deal with that side of it. So they will ask me every now and again about things and what they can and cannot do and how do they guide them through it. Do you think that um, regulation does enough in terms of addressing vulnerability and, you know, particularly consumer duty? I think it's trying to. Um, and I think it comes down to individual advisors uh, and their firms and the best practice within the firm. I think with the solar advisors, we follow it pretty we're stringent in what we do. We, we follow the, those rules. Um, I've come across certain cases where advisors aren't qualified to give later life advice and they're doing things and they're not following the rules. They possibly tick in the boxes as far as it's concerned, but for actual consumer duty with your clients, they don't know. Um, and I know there's a couple of colleagues of uh, not colleagues, um, uh, people I know that post on various uh, social media sites about uh, cases they've come across where the advisor just hasn't understood the situation and given completely incorrect advice. But as far as their paperwork is concerned, they're probably ticking boxes to say, yeah, they're following the rules, but they just don't know. Yeah. On on that, Ian, how many firms, um, how many advisors that are part of Solar would you say, um, you know, at their firm, they kind of specialise in in areas that might affect these consumers that are a bit bit more vulnerable, or um, perhaps you know of the of the kind of older age bracket. You know, how much is that their kind of target market? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I probably about thirty or forty percent 
up to 50 of my work every year is in this market. If you add on all the, the board meetings I have to go through and, and the webinars, yeah. and it's, it's a lot more. Advice-wise, I, I, looking at the, the, the actual business and, and stuff I recommend, it's a fair chunk. It's about 30%. Mm, um, I mean, one, one of the, and I think other firms are the same. And I mean, I know um, one of the, you know, the big, big firms based in place in London. A lot of their advisors are going through the solar accreditation because they feel it's the future. Um, I, I started doing it, as I said, I'm up to my 10th anniversary this year because my client base is just getting older and it made sense to be able to give advice in that area. And I don't like doing something unless I understand what I'm doing. And when it comes to it, the first thing I say to everybody, whether you want to do it or not, if you're going to give advice in this area, you need to download the statutory guidance, the care and support statutory guidance and have it on your on your computer and understand the annexes and the limits. So you can talk to people that way. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and it, that's that's just straightforward. If you want to work in that area, you need to know that um, uh, there's a company called Just. Um, they run a vulnerability uh, questionnaire. They do like a, a test. It's tough. It is tough. It makes you think about the questions. I mean, I had to take it a couple of times. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie about it because it does make you think what is vulnerability and what is vulnerable. But that's more vulnerable rather than going through the FCA terms. It's there making sure the advisors understand what it is and what you should and shouldn't do. Yeah. Um, um, Sorry. And, and, sorry, and you know, moving on to um, retirement income advice more generally for a second, um, I just wanted to ask you um, about the pension lifetime allowance. Um, so obviously this was abolished in the last budget, and I just wanted to get your insight into how this will change the advice that retiring clients receive. Oh, it, 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 if it goes through as its format is, I think we're still waiting for the actual confirmation paper to come through in, in July, I think it is, or June. As it stands at the moment, massively so, because um, I, I personally had this view that it would change at some point when it starts to affect policymakers, um, because a very simple rule of thumb is to calculate your lifetime allowance is 20 times your pension income at retirement. Right. So if you're a high level civil servant or a doctor, um, you only got to get a pension of just over 50,000 a year and suddenly you're into the tax brackets. Yeah. Okay. So when they introduced the lifetime allowance and the, the annual allowance, all of us advisors thought, well, you, you, you kind of made a mistake there. What you should have always done is restrict the amount that can go in, but let the, 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 the bit that's left at the end be enough to live on in retirement. Um, because people were just pouring masses and masses of money into pensions and getting tax relief. Um, and the other course, the other thing is at the moment, which may change, I don't know, is that money in a pension is disregarded for inheritance tax purposes. Yeah. So that was one of the big issues in the government. They were saying, oh, all the rich people have benefited. Well, I can tell you now, I've been doing the job 34 years and I don't know many clients who have got pots in excess of two or three million pounds. I've got a few that have got over the million. They, they've got the, the protected. Um, I also know a few clients that took their defined benefit benefits because they were worried about lifetime allowance and have now said they wouldn't have done it because yeah. because, because of the changes but it, it's made a big difference i think to a lot of people um we had an extremely busy end of tax year with regards to pensions and ices people making contributions that they wouldn't ordinarily make um because it did open the door but 
I think if you actually break down the numbers of people that are really going to benefit from this increased lifetime allowance in the next five to 10 years, I don't think it's going to be a huge amount, but that's my personal opinion. I might be completely wrong on that one, but just, just with my experience, um, I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Sure. And, and on that, um, you know, Labour have said that they've reversed this decision. Um, and introducing a scheme targeted at doctors instead. Um, you know, some advisors have asked the party to clarify these plans. Um, I wanted to ask you what you make, what you'd make of a reversal, and whether this means this could be, you know, a time limited opportunity for clients. Um, I, I think personally, it would be crazy. I think it, it you, you, for as an advisor, we can't then say for certain what you kind of cannot do. So, you know, if you get clients, say, yeah all right, you can now put money back into your pension, which we said not to do. And they say, well, hang on a minute, I might get a tax charge next year if, if Labour come in. So I pretty much think if he does do it, it, it will be out and out craziness. To single out doctors, I think it's a political thing because perfectly, yeah. they obviously want to encourage people to get into the NHS and they can do it. I mean, it's not just doctors, it's pilots, it's it's high rankings. Well, they keep changing the civil service, pensions, um, uh, high ranking police officers were going to be affected. Uh, fire officers you know when you think about inflation and inflation running as high as it is at the moment to get a defined benefit of just over fifty thousand a year i know that sounds a lot of money but in this day and age it's not going to take too much to get there because if the maximum two-thirds final salary and you're on 100 grand a year that's sixty-six you're already yeah. into breach of the lifetime allowance yeah. whereas now you're not so Again, going back to my comment about policymakers making policy and making the rules, I think if, if if the Labour Party do try and change it, I think there'll be quite a bit of pushback from, from high-ranking civil servants. Um, yes. So I also wanted to ask, um, you know, whether in terms of regulation um, with advice um, and consumer duty rules, um, whether you think that um, these consumer duty rules will influence um the later life advice significantly in a way that solar would be happy with <laughs> well what's a tricky question it's a good question um i think as long as you're following the guidelines looking after your clients and, and understanding all the different you know going back to treating clients fairly i mean I'm, I'm old enough to remember the conduct of business rules or cobas rules as they were called many years ago which caused all sorts of problems uh, and with our business, I think if you if you follow the rules and guidelines over the years, it won't make too much difference. It's going to be a little bit of extra work, which we all know. But as long as you're doing what you should be doing with your clients, looking after your clients, regular reviews, following the the uh, annual um, suitability assessment guidelines, and all that, you do it. And with the solar advisors, we we care, so we do follow those rules quite. You know, we do look after our clients a lot. And that, that's saying that we're any better or worse than, than, than other advisors. It's just that we, we, we wear that badge with pride um, and, and to try to dispel some of the, the myths about it. It's not expensive to join and it's not expensive to keep going as a member. Um, the webcasts that we've been doing have been brilliant and they do, they've done webcasts on consumer duty, vulnerable clients the changes to the rules the changes to the care rules you can access it and every month these webcasts are getting more and more popular they're not just open to solar advisors anybody can join them to have a look yeah mm. okay. can i ian, ian can i ask um because you know it's been said that with the consumer duty um guidelines 
um, something that's been kind of encouraged is for firms to kind of try and segment their client base a little bit more and obviously tailor the advice needs of their clients towards, you know, that person's um, age bracket or, or, or kind of um, assets or whatever it is. But would you say that um, thinking about that, the consumer duty guidelines are something that could actually benefit your members because they are providing quite a, um, quite a you know, tailored service to, to clients who have these needs? Very much so. Um, we've been looking at segmentation for ages because when you run the cost of advice versus the cost of following the guidelines, it, it can get quite expensive. Uh, and if you've got clients, the, the danger is the low end demographic clients won't get the same service, um, but you mm. give them the option if they want it. So you just basically say to the clients, look, you know, we've got minimum charge per annum to look after you. Um, if you can't make that through your investments, then you pay us a fee, which I've used. I've done that before in the past. We work out a fixed fee, but I think it frees up those clients that need more care. And I mean, um, what's interesting, um, as I said, my background was banking and, and all the changes in banking about getting rid of banks and branches closing and pushing you towards automatic banking. That's fine when you're young and you understand and you can hear and you can see. When you get a bit older, um, it doesn't come too easy. So I know clients that have used the direct um to client access on various portals um you know huge company based in bristol they've got a very good direct access for their clients it's cheap to run clients love it but we've taken clients off that platform purely because the clients have approached us say they can't do it anymore they don't want to do it yeah so with the 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 consumer duty you're, you're then saying right great we can offer you this service on these levels yeah um, but the situation with those are is the control because those people that have tended to use their own or done their own management they like to be in control yeah yeah and trying, to, and trying to guide them as advisors they say well i'm paying fees well you're paying for advice and i think because the financial services practices uh it's not so much as it used to be but got lambasted for dodgy advice and poor advice and all that and it was easy for yeah. the it was easy for the press to, 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 to knock us, whereas now, because of the qualifications, because of the way you're doing it, because of people like Solar and SFE, most advisors are professional now. You know, you're all, whatever industry you're in, there's always going to be a bad egg, quite frankly. Sure. It's just the law of averages. Um, but most of the advisors I know care about what they're doing and they want to do right for their clients. So. The consumer duty is a one cap fits all. So everybody has to squeeze into it because the government yeah. are trying to do it. And they do these thematic reviews and they come down to it and it ends up with this. Oh, my word, we've got to do this now, have we? You know, yeah, so, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I've got clients now. I think I've got two sets of families that I'm now on the fourth generation of the same family. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you don't you only get that by going to see them regularly. Uh, and and whether it's just a hi how are you have a cup of tea has anything changed to a full-blown review yeah absolutely ian thank you so much i think that's all we've got time for um thank you so much to uh my colleague nicola blackburn uh and to uh ian evans uh head of later later life advice at five ways financial planning um thanks again for coming on the podcast you've been listening to the advice show with myself zach sharif and uh, Nicola Blackburn. For any questions, please feel free to tweet us at New Model Advisor or email us at nmateam at citywide.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.